You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to start with this. It's an anonymous quote. Never stop believing in hope because miracles happen every day. Sometimes it's hard to believe, depending on what's going on in your life, but they actually do. Every day miracles happen. Never stop believing in hope because miracles happen every day, and I hope you receive miracles today. And that quote is from Anonymous. And again, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. Welcome to this Saturday. You guys, it's September the 10th already. I can hardly believe I'm saying that. This year has gone by so incredibly fast. But I want to thank you for those our loyal listeners. We're going on 17 years now. And for those of you it's your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, welcome, welcome, welcome to, to Off the Shelf. Uh, we have a wonderful guest on deck for you this morning. Still waiting for the guests to join today's show, but before we do, I wanted to to say to you off-the-shelf listeners, real life, you know, this is a literary book show. We interview publicists and writers and film, people who work in the film, movie industry, poets, songwriters, but mainly novelists, but uh, and people who love books are our listeners, but real life offers Deeper, more complex mysteries. When you think about it, I'm talking story here. It offers more complex mysteries than movies, even books. Real, real life. And but that's not to say that books or story can't tell real life mysteries in a powerful way. And in fact, escaping toward freedom is just such a mystery. And in this this suspense book, it pulls us off. It Clarissa is a main character in Escaping Toward Freedom. She's a writer who's vacationing in the North Georgia mountains, and she's trying to stir up her creativity, get her creative juices going to gain enough, uh, uh, just enough fervor to pen her next novel, which she hopes will turn out to be another New York Times and Essence bestseller like her last novel was. She isn't in the North Georgia mountains, and if you've ever been to them, they are absolutely gorgeous. She's not there two full days. When something out of the ordinary starts to happen, and she's stayed here before, and she spots what looks like a little girl hiding by her cabin, and she invites this girl inside this cabin that she's renting. That single supposedly purposeful, helpful move changes her life forever. It's amazing. Oh, one little decision you make can literally change your entire life. And I mean, she cannot go back after she has done this supposedly so simple thing. She gets caught up. The story takes off in at a very fast pace as it is after this girl shows up. What comes next? What comes next? I encourage you to get your copy of Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney, ebook, print, or hard copy, Escaping Toward Freedom, Escaping Toward Freedom, Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. Get a copy and find out what happens to Clarissa and these girls. Please get your copy today. And I think our guest has just joined us, so I'm going to introduce our guest to you this morning. 
And our special guest this morning is Dennis Galloway. And in researching for the day show, and I love to research for for the shows, I learned and sharing with you, Dennis Galloway grew up with a vivid, active imagination brought on in part from extensive traveling. And we're going to talk about that and how traveling might have influenced his writing. And over his life, he has traveled to different countries around the world, which has allowed him to experience so many different cultures. And it's these varied experiences that have helped. They helped Dennis to create exciting and engaging fiction for children and adults. In addition to writing fiction for children and adults, Dennis has also created documentary videos and a range of other media. He is the author of the book, The Pen. Imagine a writer, author, book title, The Pen, The P-E-N, The Pen, and an Amazon bestseller that we will delve in during today's show this morning. But I encourage you to check Dennis Galloway. His last name is spelled G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. Check him out online at thepen.dennislgalloway.com, T-H-E-P-E-N dot D-E-N-N-I-S-L-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y.com. One more time, T-H-E-P-E-N dot D-E-N-N-I-S-L-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y.com. And we are so excited to have Dennis with us here on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Dennis. Well, thank you very much, and I apologize for getting on late. My calendar didn't oh. give me enough heads up. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you're here, you're here, you're here. So that's that's what matters. So you're here on you're here in good time. So we thank you for taking time out of your day to join us and our listeners here on Off the Shelf. So the first few questions, Dennis, I ask every guest to give our listeners a little backstory on the uh, authors before I start talking about their books. So to begin, can you tell? off-the-shelf listeners, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up. Oh, wow. How much time do we have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in a military family. Uh, three months after I was born on the west coast of California, we we were moving, and we moved ever since. So it was a new neighborhood every three or four years. It was a different state or actually a different country. Uh, my first time that we moved was to Germany uh, when I was really young, uh, about uh, kindergarten age. In fact, when we got there, that's where I started my kindergarten, was in Germany. Um, we were there for, I think, three or four years, and then um, the next spot was back to California and then up to Alaska before it became a state. That was back in the 50s sometime. Um, and so uh, I was up there in 40-degree below weather in the winter. <laughs> Went oh. to school, did not, put, did not put my tongue on the frosted swing set for sure. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it was, it was uh, making new friends every time we left, uh, saying goodbye to old friends. And having a lot of new experiences uh, throughout my life. And that's helped me in my writing because the uh, challenges everybody has in life and the things that you have to overcome, you know, the school bullies or or learning how to ride a bike or 
learning how to adjust to a new neighborhood uh, is things that everybody generally uh, has, but mine was compressed because it had to be repeated every time we moved. But um, I enjoyed my life. I had a good family and uh, good support. Uh, School was always challenging because I was always daydreaming. And uh, so my daydreaming now um, uh, is a good thing because it helps me come up with new ideas and uh, use my imagination to write my stories. So what other countries did you, you said Germany, what other countries did you live in? And did you continue to travel after you became adult and you were no longer like in your family where your father was in the military? Yes, I continued to travel. Uh, The only overseas uh, country that I lived in as a child was Germany. Uh, But then uh, I guess you could call Alaska kind of an overseas thing because it wasn't a state at the time. So I lived there, and then mostly on the east coast or west coast of, of the United States while I grew up. Uh, later in life, I, I traveled overseas. I was also in the military for a short time, and I was assigned, again, Germany, interestingly enough, I guess because I spoke German. But uh, I traveled over in, in uh, Europe to uh, Scotland and coast of France and uh, Spain and other countries while I was over there. Um, and I've continued to travel in my career, uh, which was not writing, uh, but it was in the electronics industry. I had a chance to travel over to Asia, to uh, China, Taiwan, and Japan, and places like that. So I got a lot of that influence and uh, experiences too. So it was, it was, it's been an interesting life, and it continues to unfold very, very well. Wow, you have traveled extensively. Oh my goodness, you you have, and, and you've definitely seen a lot of different cultures. Man, good for, good for you. I'm always told traveling, it makes people different, particularly if they travel a, a lot younger. You don't get in this mindset where you see everybody as a certain way because you start to see people in different environments and not just the way you grew up. Some some of us, yeah. we, never left our, we never left our town, but we think we know how mm-hmm. everybody in the whole rest of the world is, which is, I think, just <laughs> absolute amazement. Now, when you were, when you were a kid, Dennis, when you were a kid and you said you dreamed a lot, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Oh, heck. Uh, when I was really young, of course, I wanted to be like a superhero, you know, Superman or something like that. And then uh, I enjoyed exploring a lot. So I always wanted to be an explorer. I wanted to find out things and discover stuff. And I also liked to make stuff. So I ended up making stuff. I was uh, an engineer and uh I worked in the uh, semiconductor industry. That's the industry that makes the little computer chips. And uh, I helped people use those in computers, helped them design them in and stuff. And so that allowed me to travel a lot because customers were all over the world. But um, I made friends easily and ended up uh, running an organization for a large corporation for a while uh, where I had worldwide responsibility for a product line. So that kept me busy. Um, didn't get to my writing until, uh, or published writing anyway, until after I uh, left that industry. Okay, so you, 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 so this is my next question, and I was thinking, thinking when I'm listening to you, and you said you didn't get into writing to after you, to later in, in your life, what, what inspired you 
what inspired you? Well, who or what inspired who or what inspired you to pursue writing and actually publishing a book? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Uh, I always wrote wrote short stories, wrote poems to my mom, you know, uh, letters to girlfriends. In those days, they didn't have computers, so you had to write it by hand or on a typewriter. Anyway, I always enjoyed that. I thought, oh, this would be a really interesting thing, so I'd write it down and kind of keep it as a short story for myself. So I was uh, really busy raising a family and, and really into my career at the time, so I didn't never thought of actually publishing until later. And what inspired me about it was I said, you know, I talk to myself a lot when I'm a writer. I, most writers do. They talk in their head. And they say, okay, what are you going to do with this? Oh, you know what? I've been writing a lot. Why not just publish it? Why not just put it out there? Don't be afraid that nobody's going to like it or anything like that. Just go ahead and put it out there because the world's a big place, and there will be people that like it. And I had enough experience in writing on my own and learning a, a little bit about how to write uh, that I wasn't uh, real concerned about it. And um, so I said, you know what, how can I do this? Uh, I know from what I read in the past that it was real expensive. You had to get an editor, you had to get a, and then uh, get it all written down and then hand it to a big book publisher and they will throw it out or, you know, so there was going to be all that. So that, gave me hesitancy initially. And then when I found out about uh, you can actually publish through Amazon or other people who will help you do that so you can self-publish. And initially that's where I started was self-publishing because it didn't cost that much to do that. Uh, later when I um, published a few things and I really liked doing it, I decided maybe I do need help. Maybe I do need a team to help me edit it correctly or help me lay the book out. So then I I acquired a team of people to help me do that. And I found a reasonable cost to do that. It wasn't hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it was an investment. And I'm I'm glad I did because it, it made the, um, the storyline much more crisp and um, helped the layout of the look of the book better and the cover design better. I did all of that myself initially, and the book was okay, but this really made it pop. This really made it uh, look very, very professional. So most people should start publishing on their own, self-publishing, get understanding how it works, uh, what do you got to do, uh, what are the steps you're going to go through, and try something small, maybe a 25-page little short story or something, and there's all kinds of cover design software out there that will help you. At the time that I started, this stuff wasn't there. It was all, well, type it up on Word or something and see if you can't get it, you know, uploaded to Amazon somehow. So anyway, uh, the long and short of it is um, it's been an interesting uh, process of learning, and, and I'm still learning. Yeah, I think I think we all are. Hopefully, now at your website, you share that your writing has been deeply impacted by your traveling and the different cultures you've experienced. How how when you look back, even now on the stories you write, as we as we start to next talk about the pen, how has traveling and living in different countries and visiting different countries and being around different people, how has that do you think impacted your writing? tell you something. In the book, The Pen, they talk about an antique store. 
I ran across a store just like that on one of my travels. Uh, it was in Turkey with my wife, and we were visiting. And Turkey uh, and most big cities have what they call a bazaar, and that's where a lot of shopping malls are. Well, this one had been there for a, a long, long time. And we turned a corner, and there was this little door going inside. It had all these interesting things hanging around, and it was kind of a dark wooded little antique store. It was like it's like you walked back to Indiana Jones or you walked back into Harry Potter's uh, wand shop. Wow. Like yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> so I, I remembered that, see? I remembered that. And, um, and so I wrote that into the book. But what's also interesting is in my travels, I love to go see old stuff. I found an old tin. And uh, so I bought that. But the whole story came about from a dream I had. And the and dream told me about pen, magical pen. It'll, oh, my goodness. You it and you want to write with it, and it writes on itself. And that's what started this whole thing. So I, I pulled my uh, images from old people that I've seen in my travels. Like, boy, there's some gnarly old people when you go back to some of the old country. <laughs> and you can, you know, remember that, what they looked like and put it in your story. And uh, I remember the cobblestone streets. I traveled to Edinburgh, Scotland, and I remember distinctly the cobblestone streets, the curbs, the way the buildings look, the little stores in some of the old parts of town. So all of those flavors from my experience I put into the book. Oh, my goodness. And this is one thing I love about Off the Shelf. And any any show you listen to, the author talk about how they – the story came to be. It makes every story sound so much more intriguing. It, it really does. I, this is why author tours on podcasts, I think, is, are helpful because you you cannot put this in a book description. You, it's just too much to to um, the, how, how a story came to be and how it came to you in a dream. Yeah. So, Dennis, is the pen your first published novel, and 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 is the dream is that the ultimate or the sole inspiration behind the story? Well, you know, that's kind of interesting. Uh, sometimes it comes to me in dreams. Sometimes early in the morning when I wake up, go, oh, oh, that's a really cool idea. I have lots of them. <laughs> You've only oh, okay. seen the beginning, okay? And um, one story I wrote was about a little green frog who traveled from pond to pond. And he was having a good time, and he got to this pond, and there was this big, big bullfrog sitting right in the middle. And this bullfrog dominated the pond. So this little green frog had to figure out, okay, how do I get through the pond and not get eaten by this big guy? So it's called The Green King, and it's a children's book. And I did the illustrations in it. And so that was one of my first books that I published. And the other one that I published was a... uh, cowboy story and it actually was during the transition of the civil war when the civil war was over everybody was going home and how did they adjust what happened and this main character goes home and finds his his home destroyed his wife killed but he found out it wasn't because of the battles that went on but it was because of the raiders after the civil war went around raiding these little towns that had no protection and uh, 
that was that that group that killed him. So the whole story arc is him trying to find the leader that did this to to extract his revenge. And it has him traveling from the East Coast down through Texas when Texas was just starting to uh, expand its territory and the um, the industry for driving cattle north was just beginning. So he gets all involved in that. But he meets people along the way. He gets lost in the desert. He almost gets killed. He almost gets hung for something that, you know, uh, he shouldn't have done. <laughs> and so uh, it's a matter of him surviving as he's trying to find this guy. Plus, the story talks about the guy and what this guy tries to do and how he tries to become a gambler and gets thrown off a Mississippi River boat. So it it combines and weaves all of that into uh, a dramatic tale where the main hero uh, ends up winning the girl, uh, winning his revenge, and starts in the industry of uh, cattle driving and uh, being a rancher. And that was going to be a series, but I got diverted to the pen, so I might get back to that. Oh, okay. Now, why did you decide to set the pen in the 1920s? What, what, why did you decide to set it in that time period? Well, talking about characters that are in areas or times that are changing. Uh, the 1920s was a time when the world started seeing electricity in most places, started seeing uh, cars showing up on the roads, uh, started seeing... Uh, new inventions, uh, the light bulb, for example, the phonograph, for example. Um, The telegraph was starting to get further and further out into the country and introduced a lot of places. And so I was writing this, and uh, the the reason Edinburgh was chosen is because I had traveled there, and I'm familiar with the people and the country. And so it it added flavor. Uh, The people talk kind of funny. (laughs) In fact, I have an audio of this book where we introduced characters and sounds and voices and special effects. And so I had a chance to introduce the flavor from the voice viewpoint of the people. Uh, In fact, my wife plays as one of the characters, which is really cool. So uh, the reason I did the 1920s in Edinburgh, Scotland, is because that country itself was just emerging from coal stoves and candles and, uh, horse and buggy. They were a little bit behind the rest of the world because uh, they don't change very quickly there. So uh, this was a chance for me to have him struggle with the changes that we're going through, him meaning Harold, the main character. Plus, his time travel allowed him to use what he learned from the, the man that he was following it back in a thousand years before to his life and improving it so he was able to adjust with the changes that were going on. Oh, so there's some time travel in here. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the pen. So, so, so you know what? I definitely have to ask you this. You had a dream. Yeah. This is where this story came from. What is it about this pen? How did it become magical? Why is this pen? And is this a, is this a pen that different people have used? Over time, what's so special about this pen? Well, see, that's the mystery about it. Harold Harold always liked to write in his spare time because he was kind of a recluse. He was in his mid to late 30s, kind of overweight, didn't do much, and he was not doing well in life. But his escape was to write. He liked to write stories. And so 
he loved to collect old pens and write with them because he felt like he had a connection with, uh, you know, maybe the original owner of it or something. So he found this store, which was kind of odd, and it kind of showed up when he didn't expect it. And he found that the owner in there was very accommodating and was kind of, well, you'll have to read the book. But anyway, it was interesting. <laughs> so he got this he, he got this pen, and he said, oh, I'm excited about it. I'll go home and I start writing. So he started writing with the pen, his ideas for a story, and all of a sudden the pen started taking over his hand, dragging it across the paper, writing its own story. And it wrote in a foreign script that he couldn't understand what it was. So it scared him, of course, and he wanted to take it back to the store, but the store was gone. It wasn't there anymore. So he said, what am I going to do with this pen? And so when he went to sleep, he woke up in a dream, and his dream was actually showing him the original owner of the pen, writing memoirs of his life. But he, he as he was writing, the, old, the, the man who was writing with the pen was telling the story, and Harold was transported back in time again to when that man was young as an orphan living on the streets of Cairo and trying to survive. And everything that man went through, because he was writing in his memoirs, but he was narrating it at the same time. All the escapes, all the battles, all the loves, all the friends, all the challenges. And there was life lessons that this young man learned as he was growing up that uh, Harold witnessed and actually experienced because he was there. I mean, they couldn't see him or anything, but he could feel it. He could smell it. He could bump into people and they could feel that, but they couldn't see him. So he would just keep quiet (laughs) and watch what was going on. So anyway, yeah, so there was time to travel back and forth. He'd wake up from his dream and and finally realized this pen was doing what it was doing. And he got excited about it, so he he would try to dream travel as much as he could. But he oh. wasn't going to tell anybody. <laughs> so, so Harold, did he actually live another lifetime doing when this this guy who owned the pen lived, but he had just forgotten about it? No, it wasn't that way. What it was is because the pen wrote the words on a piece of paper, the words transported Harold back in time to witness what the words said. Oh. So we actually Where saw. You said this came from a dream. I have to ask you. All of this story <laughs> came totally from a dream because you have some imagination if it did. All of this came from a dream, or did you did you wake up and start put, putting more of it together yourself? It's like I've never heard of a story like this. Yeah, no, I started putting more of it together myself. The, the initial dream was, what if there was a pen that was really, really old, that it had its own story, and it would write its own story out kind of magically-like? And then came up the idea, well, what if the guy who has the pen all of a sudden dreams and travels back in time? And it, it, it helps Harold kind of in the in, – he didn't know what he was going to do with his life. He was down in the dumps. He was depressed and recluse. But this pen actually helped him get out of that by giving him ideas and giving him encouragement, by learning from what this man's challenges was 
And he could take those same lessons, and he did. He applied them to his life, and his life improved. And he was no longer recluse. In fact, well, he had a good time. <laughs> Man, that is so fascinating. Have you? Now, I wasn't even going to ask you this, but have is this the kind of story, and have you thought about trying to get this made into a movie? Hey, yay, yay, another person who likes <laughs> no, Has that ever crossed your mind? Oh, absolutely. I dream about it every day, meeting somebody that can make this movie. <laughs> I, I dream about maybe DreamWorks, and I meet Spielberg. Hey, oh, glad to meet you. And I can see us at the premiere, and it's there on the screen, and or on Netflix as a series. I, yeah, I dream about it every day. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be it, – it, it, it seems like it would make a great – it, whether it was for television or for a major motion picture, uh, just hearing you talk about it, it sounds like it would be something that a lot of people would find very, very interesting, just listening to you talk about it. Now, can you tell us a little bit more? You know, some stories people are interested in. We're talking about the pen by Dennis Galloway for our off-the-shelf listeners. For those, some people are this, this, what they're driven to or attracted to in a story. This is a, a has a very interesting plot storyline. Some people, it's the character. Can you you said Harold is a recluse when he sees what this other guy goes through in the pen. It it opens him up and he changes. But what is he like at the start of the story besides being a recluse? Is he married? Is he single? Is he an only child? Does he have friends? What does he do for a living? Does he love his job? What What's driving him? And is he running from anything at the very start of the story? The very start of the story, think of a frumpy man who's a little bit balding, wears uh, clothes from five years before. In other words, he's not current with the fashion. And being in the 1920s, uh, his clothes are more like <laughs> 1990s or something. Anyway, and he's a little overweight. Uh, he works at a job he doesn't like, his job as a clerk in a big, huge law firm. If you can imagine going into this big, big room, and there's hundreds of people uh, writing at, at their desks, and he's just a little wheel in the cog of this big machinery. So he's he's not noticed. People don't care about him, and uh, so he's he's struggling with this. And so he's trying to do better, but he doesn't know how. He doesn't have the courage. Um, he feels like nobody likes him anyway, so why should he bother? And so he, he's struggling. And he's not married. He's still single, uh, a little bit shy about asking women out on dates. Um, but in the story, he gains more encouragement. He meets somebody, and uh, he likes her. And so he learns about how do you romance somebody? You know, how do you uh, let them know that you're interested and things like that? So he oh emerges from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, so you you do this pen and this story. You, Harold, he sounds like he, a very interesting character. And I've seen movies with characters like that. And then you actually mm-hmm. show where he changes. So how does Harold come to know the Sultan? How does he come to know the Sultan? Well, uh, when he dream travels back in time, the story opens for him where he sees this young man trying to survive on the streets of Cairo. 
And so um, initially, the first time that he traveled back, he saw the sultan sitting there writing with his pen. And he looked at the pen the guy's writing. He says, oh, my goodness, that's the pen I have. And so he sees the sultan writing with his pen in this, uh, it's in Arabic, and he sees him writing it, and he says, oh, that, that's the writing that I've got. And he realizes that this man, wherever he is, because Harold doesn't understand, he went back in time until he starts looking around. He sees this man writing with his pen, and then he hears in his head this man thinking about what he's writing. And, of course, he's writing his memoirs of his life. So that's how Harold got to know that it was this Sultan guy, and uh, he learned his name. And by the writing of his memoirs, he learned about his life as a young man starting out on the streets of Cairo as an orphan who escaped from his his uh, cap Cairo to survive and how he met friends there and what he did to improve his life and all the challenges he had. And uh, so that's how he got to know him. In what ways, this book sounds like a story. You know, you get a good novel when you get into the characters, and Harold sounds very interesting, like he by himself could carry a story, the way you're describing him. So, and and I'm thinking about um, Harry Potter, like in the Harry Potter, when you have a character that's so strong, they can help really drive the story. Of course, there are other characters, but Harold sounds like he could drive the pen He's strong enough to do that. But this story, a good stories to me, they help readers to lower their defenses so that they something about the story can actually help the reader like this pen does with Harold in this story mm-hmm. in this language, it's Arabic. It helps Harold listening to somebody else's story. A good story can do that where a reader can actually help the reader and their own life. In what way yes. can reading the pen, Dennis, enlighten readers or help them to improve their own lives? When they finish reading the book, they just somehow, it's their own life is improved. Well, here's the way it works. And I've had people tell me this book helps to improve their lives. Uh, in the story that Harold witnesses and watches and, and uh, learns from, the young man learns from an older mentor that he has. And the mentor teaches him, it's called the Emeralds of Wisdom. And it teaches them certain things like believing in yourself, like figuring out what you want to be and, and see yourself as being that person or doing that thing and living it and or writing things down and putting it up next to your bed and looking at it or draw out a picture of it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is taught in this book in a story form. So Harold applied those lessons to his life, so that character saw what was going on, saw this man improve his life because he followed those principles, and he applied the same principles to his life, so it improved his life. And the reason I did that is two things. One is uh, principles are universal, and uh, time does not dilute their power. Uh, and anybody can use these principles and apply it to their lives and therefore improve them. And uh, I've had people tell me they did that, and they did improve their lives. So it's like, okay, 
mission accomplished. <laughs> Got the oh, idea wow. across. So you, yeah, I was going to ask you that. So that was that was some one of the more than just being an entertaining book. That was something that you did want to do or see happen uh, from the writing of the pen. This story sounds just fascinating. And then it's it's like you, you lower your defenses and you walk away learning something without intending to. You just buy it to be entertained. And somehow it does uh-huh. uh, help to improve your own life. Now, this is in the 1920s. And is, yeah. do you consider this a a typical um, work of historical fiction where somebody, where things you share in the story actually happened, the place actually existed. Do you see this as also a, a piece of historical fiction? I do because Edinburgh actually exists. Uh, the technology I talk about at the times did exist. Uh, when you traveled back in time to Cairo, well, Cairo exists. And the money they used, I described it, did exist at that time. And a lot of the adventures he went through, uh, those people that he interacted with actually, not the characters in the book, but the actual type of person and the type of culture did exist at that time. And some of it still exists today. So, yes, it's a historical fiction. Uh, But more than that, it's more like a historical fiction self personal development, uh, entertainment, I don't know what you call it. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so how much research How much research did you do as you completed the material? And I'm, I'm asking you this question in part because we've had other authors on, some who only write historical fiction, which there's a huge audience for that. People, There are people who love historical fiction, and you can learn a lot from it while you're being entertained, but one author told me when you write historical fiction, you have to do an immense amount of research uh, because she said there are people who, I mean, love historical fiction. They will tell you, no, that's wrong. They didn't, that cafe didn't have those type of napkins in the 1940s. (laughs) They know it that well. So how much research did you do while you were uh, compiling material for the pen? Just enough to color the scene, because I realized there were people who are very much more knowledgeable than I know about Cairo or 1920s in Edinburgh, much, much more knowledgeable. So I just gave enough information so that your imagination as you read the book fill in the details. So it wasn't really important to be extremely accurate. It was important if I said, okay, this trolley went down the street and it was driven by electricity. I had to be accurate about that. But I didn't have to say it was a uh, John Smith design with, uh, you know, chrome on the wheels. And I didn't have to get into that kind of detail because it had to have enough flavor so that your mind would fill in, oh, the sky was blue that day. Or, let's see, Harold's clothes must have been brown because brown was the dominant color in those days. You know, I didn't have to go to that kind of detail. And it wasn't really necessary. I wasn't really trying to describe Napoleon, you know, conquering uh, or being defeated at Waterloo or something. I didn't have to get into that kind of detail. So I I went into enough detail that I I could understand what I wanted to say. Then I would go and Google it and figure out, okay, in this time period, did they have that kind of a building? Or 
What did it look like if it was this or that? And I got a lot of information that way. So I didn't have to be a history professor to write this book. I just had to have enough detail to carry the story. Okay. Now introduce us to some of the other. We've, we've, you've told us briefly about the Sultan and we, uh, more about Harold. Can you introduce us to some of the other major and minor characters in the pen who helped to move this story forward? Yeah. Um, a couple of things. I'm trying to rec- – let me take a look here. Uh, let's see here. Um, there was his love, Patricia. She was a librarian, and he met her at the library because that's where he went to research what all the scribbling was about. He didn't didn't know what it was. And so he met Patricia, and she um, was kind of mousy, small, big glasses, wore shawl. She dressed like an old lady, but she was in her 20s. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, she was kind of a quiet person, of course, because she was the, the librarian that he interacted with. And as they uh, romanced and he brought her flowers and took her out and stuff, she brightened up a little bit better, you know, wore better clothes, uh, put on some more makeup. And so she came out of her shell as well because she liked him. And um, then there was a – see if I can find it here. Hold on just a second. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, one of the bad guys that Harold had to deal with. And let's see if I can find his name here. Um, he looked like uh, he was kind of tall and bent over. He wore black all the time. He had a a hooked nose. He was had a frown on his face all the time. And uh, he... Uh, Worked in the same law firm that Harold did, and oh, when Harold okay. started, improving, yeah, when Harold started improving his life and doing better, this guy hated him, and he wanted to get rid of him. He wanted to destroy his uh, character, and so he had a scheme that he pulled off, and he almost, he almost did it. Um, and let's see. He sounds like an interesting character himself. <laughs> so oh, when, yeah. Harold, when Harold was at the law firm and he was really unhappy and he didn't know what to do with his life, this guy was fine with Harold. It wasn't until Harold started to perk up and change that the guy had issues with him. That's right. That's right. Interesting. And so, uh, and then we have another love life. Uh, Tara is back in time. Uh, uh, Akbar is uh, Al Hamid Akbar is the name of the Sultan, and he had a love too. Her name was Tara, and she was, uh, if you can think of, uh, oh, the way the Arabian Nights show the women with their uh, veils and their outfits. That's kind of way to imagine her. And uh, Al Hamid, if you can think of. Um, some of the movies like, um, oh, shoot, uh, where the young man is um, working the streets and, and the way he looks, uh, shoot, I'm thinking of Aladdin, Aladdin. Oh, okay, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. The way he looked, okay, so he looked like that, kind of working the streets, and then um, 
you had um, some other characters. There was a, a bad guy also in uh, Al Hamid's uh, time. There was a Nubian warrior that was always trying to catch him. There was a guy that uh, didn't like him uh, who tried to get him captured and killed in a in a battle. So you have all of these flavors, all these characters in here that interact quite well. Uh, Harold has his nemesis. Al-Hamid Akbar has his nemesis. Uh, Harold has his love of his life, and Al-Hamid has the love of his life. So in in, uh, in these areas, they have their mentors, they have their people uh, that help them with things. Okay. Who, who, I have to ask you this next. Who designed the cover for the pen? And I encourage our listeners, and I want to give you what we're interviewing to this morning, Dennis Galloway, and he's the author of The Pen. He also writes children's books, and his website is thepen.dennislgalloway.com, T-H-E-P-E-N dot D-E-N-N-I-S-L-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y dot com. Who designed the cover for The Pen? And for our listeners, you could go to his website and look at the cover of the story. Uh, uh, who designed the cover? Uh, it's very intriguing, and what was that process of working for that illustrator like for you? Well, the illustrator actually found a picture of a door in Ukraine, and this is an actual door. And then uh, we modified it a little bit to uh, to be uh, more intriguing, more interesting. Uh, it was okay. Uh, they initially proposed uh, a whole storefront. And I said, no, we got to we got to narrow it down to just the door. And they were very good at it. Uh, it was a uh, a firm that I hired that helped me with the uh, book cover, helped me with the distribution and other aspects of it. So um, they were pretty good. They uh, they did a good job. Uh, interesting. They do different uh, book designers. Uh, and on my second book, which is out now about the pen. It's called Knight's Templar Treasure. And this time a woman gets the pen from an antique store again. And uh, it's in the 19, late 1930s, 39, 40s, when uh, World War II. Oh, my goodness. Here's a book series. Oh, my God. What's the, name, what's, the name, what's the name of the second one again? Again, you said, what's the name of it? Okay. Called the pen, but it's Knight's Templar Treasure. Knight's Templar Treasure. Okay. So she gets the wow. pen. She has, to, she has two young children that she has to deal with in bombing of Edinburgh while she's there. And about her adventure traveling back in time. Now, when she travels back in time, she meets a Templar knight. And he's writing his memoirs with the pen that she now has. So the uh, same thing happens with her. She witnesses this stuff. She sees what he goes through. She learns from him. But in this book, in this second book, when she comes back to her own time period, now she realizes, wait a minute, he talked about a treasure. Where is that? So it's partially also a treasure hunt in the story. Ah, you got a series on your hand, and that's, that's the best way, they say, to start to sell books because somebody reads the second book, then they want to read the first, then they want to read the rest of them. Now, you yeah. also have done documentaries and videos 
And mm-hmm. what types of work do you do in that arena? And do you also write the scripts or do other work with the documentaries and videos that you help create? Well, I was trained by National Geographic to do documentaries. And so I did one. It was really interesting uh, long before I started publishing. And uh, I was going to follow that career, but something kept telling me, no, write, write, write. Because I love doing videos. And I did, um, so I did the videos. I did a video series called The RV Guy. And uh, I did the scripting and the editing and, and the whole nine yards there. And that's on YouTube. It's a series on YouTube. Um, and the documentary I did uh, had to do with a man and his mother who had Alzheimer's and the struggles he was going through and the emotion involved in it. And uh, that was my, my first National Geographic uh, documentary that I did. Now, it's not National Geographic. I have to clarify here. I, was, I went to a training seminar where they were training people on how to do video documentaries. So National Geographic people trained me on how to do this. I did not work for National Geographic. I did not produce National Geographic documentaries. I did my own. And uh, so I found that highly interesting, but it's a very involved, it's a long process. Uh, whether you get noticed or not just depends. So um, I'd like to write. And I love to write because it takes a lot less video equipment. <laughs> takes a lot less editing. <laughs> so um, I decided to pursue that instead. Um, particularly, um, I looked into going into Hollywood as well. I was an actor in Hollywood for a short time. I was an extra on things like Grey's Anatomy. And uh, Fox had Making History one time that never took off. And so I did those kinds of things as well. And um, added all of this stuff, it gives me a lot of experience. I decided, well, I better cool my heels and just stick to one thing, just write and write good stories. So that's what I decided to do. You have, man, you are you are so not Harold. Your character, Harold, you have traveled. <laughs> you have traveled and you have done so many different things and had the courage. I was listening to you at the start of today's show when you thought about self-publishing, when you first came out with the, your first book, and you said, you know, what what is there to, like, almost lose? Somebody, it's a big world. There are bound to be some people who will like the story. And so you had the courage to move forward, which helped you. Congratulations on being an Amazon best-selling author. I wanted to ask you, what was it like when you got that news? Oh, man, that was, I was on top of the world. That was awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. And I have the official badge I can put on my books and stuff and things like that. Um, but one thing that people have to understand uh, is Amazon bestselling is awesome. But if you want to distribute that book to other distributors, they're not going oh, yeah, to have yeah, yeah, yeah. badge on there, right? <laughs> so you just have no, to say, no, you don't number want to one do bestseller that. is what you have to say, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's been fun, and I, I'm really thrilled about it. So, so, so can you share three to four steps that you, you take, that you yourself personally, not you read about, but you tried and you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Um, 
what I did was because I was familiar with video and, and stuff like that, I created book trailers. And when they go to thepen.denniselgalloway.com, they'll see two book trailers, one for the first book and one for the second book. Book trailers are like little uh, movie trailers, and they're very effective in getting people's attention. So what I did was I made these book trailers, videos, and then I would um, put them on Amazon and spend a little bit of money to have it spread across uh, the country or the world. And uh, what's really cool about doing a book trailer as opposed to just an ad is people love to see videos. And so they'll look at a video before they'll read an ad. And as an example, uh, one ad covered like 180,000 people in seven days. And out of the 180,000 people, 80,000 of them looked at the video. So uh, that's an effective way to get people's attention and get them to go and uh, take a look at the book. Ah, video, video. And, you know, TikTok and uh, you can do TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, all of them, YouTube. Uh, people do want to see. I don't know. I'm, I, I wonder if do you think it gives you, as a, somebody who's worked with documentaries, is that a way it gives you more, you think it helps you to experience part of that story more fully than just reading words? You can you can hear if you do a video where they there's sound, you got emotion, you got the visual part of it, and maybe even some words on there. Do you think it allows a person to experience a little bit of the story better than just reading the book description? Yes, it does because in my um, short movie trailers, the sounds that you hear come from the audio that I did of the pen. And also from the audio that I did of the second book, which is the audio is not out yet, but the voices are in there, the sound effects are in there. So it, it gives you a better way of using your imagination to really understand what this book is and how, how um, uh, in-depth it can be. Now, keep in mind, you've got to do that within two minutes. <laughs> so you, yeah. you really have to pack it in there. Or you just take parts of the book for different video trailers. I, I recommend at least three so you could rotate them when you send them out so you have a, a variety pack sort of um, because then people can – it fires up their imagination. They go, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, so, oh, so you recommend yeah. doing three videos and rotating them. I've never heard that. Yeah, because uh, what it does is since you only have two minutes, especially if your novel is – uh, pretty in-depth, gives you a chance to give them a flavor of chapters 5 to 10, chapters 12 to 15, chapters so forth. So whatever grabs their attention uh, is what you want to do. Interesting. You see, let's learn something here on off-the-shelf listeners. I've never heard that before. That is, thank you for sharing that, Dennis. I never have heard that before. Sure. Now, what advice, once once upon a time, you, you've done acting, you were in it appeared in Grey's Anatomy. You've learned how to do documentaries, and you did have done documentaries, some on YouTube, and now the novel writing. What advice do you have for somebody who's where you used to be? They're, they want to write, publish, and market a book. They haven't yet. What advice would you give them as far as writing and publishing and as, and as it relates to getting their books and bookstores? 
Well, one thing that is very, very, very important is consistency. You have to sit down each day and do a sentence or a paragraph or a chapter of your book. Because if you don't have that discipline to sit down there and write it, uh, you're never going to get to the end. And the second thing is just write it. Don't worry whether it's spelled correctly or, or formatted right or anything. Just get the idea down on the paper. And that's going to be your first pass. Just get it down on the paper. Because you can go back and you can do some self-editing, uh, you know, spell check and so forth on it. But uh, rather than learning editor skills to be really good at just editing, I recommend that you hire somebody to edit it in detail because they do editing for a career. They are very knowledgeable on how to make the paragraph sound better or look better. They're very knowledgeable excuse me, on how to arrange things so that it flows. So you have a story arc that has an ability to carry somebody through the paragraph and the story. Because I found out very quickly that uh, if I write a story and I'm starting to write this paragraph and go, oh, no, no, I don't like that. i got to rewrite it. And I'm like, no, 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 i got to rewrite it again. Oh, no, 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 i got to rewrite it again. Pretty soon I spent three days to a week trying to write a paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> and I never got it done. Right? right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and so uh, don't be a perfectionist. Just write it. Write it consistently because – the whole concept here is if you're consistent about sitting down and writing every day, you stay enthused. You stay in the story in your head. The story is still fresh. It doesn't stale. And, and Because if you don't get back to writing after a while, you go, what did I say? What was the feeling I was trying to put in there? How did it, how does it unfold? If you lose that, it takes a while to get back to it. And I have made the mistake of not being consistent. And it's tough to get back in. Oh, gosh, what was, I was trying to make them feel a certain way. What was that? I was trying to remember. So if you don't have a lot of notes about what you're trying to do, um, you're going to forget it. Always what I do is when I write things down and I'm writing the story and I go, wait a minute, should that happen? Should this happen? I quickly put notes down someplace else to remind me I've got to have that in the story. And so then I have a chance to go back and refresh my mind. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have this happen now. Oh, yeah, that's got to be added too. So it gives me a chance to go back and keep the story fresh and keep it moving. Okay. Where can people get a copy of your books, the pen, the first book, and the second one that's out now? Where can people get copies of your books? They can go to any online store, Amazon being the biggest. Barnes & Noble is another big guy. They can go to any online store, put my name, Put the title in there, and they'll find out uh, they should have them all by now. I know the pen is on like 20 different uh, online stores uh, all over the world, including in, in London and England and Europe. And uh, But uh, if they go in and they put in the pen, Dennis Galloway, uh, they will find, uh, they should find both books, but they'll find at least Sultan's Wisdom in there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have had we have had the pleasure of of interviewing Dennis Galloway, and I want to give you his website. He's the author of the Pen Book Two is out now. I mean, this sounds like a very intriguing series, and his website yeah. URL 
Go ahead. There's a third one on the way. Oh, a third <laughs> one on the way. You guys look out. Look out for it. So his <laughs> website URL is T-H-E-P-E-N dot D-E-N-N-I-S-L-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y dot com. The pen dot Dennis L. Galloway dot com. He, this, this, he said it came to him through a dream, and now it's, it's becoming a series, and I hope it really, really takes off for him. You know, people love book series. What, whose life is this pen going to show up in next, and what changes is this pen going to bring into <laughs> their life? So I encourage you to, to, to check out Dennis Galloway, and if this is something that appeals to you, you might want to get a copy of book one and book two of the pen and wait for book three to come out. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Dennis, for being with us on Off the Shelf. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you came in midstream, when the show finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in the archives as many times as you like. And please share it, share it, share it with people who you think would enjoy a story like The Pen. And in closing, as I always tell you, you are awesome, you are amazing, you are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Dennis, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Thank you, everybody. It's going to be a movie. (laughs) Good thing.